0: Joining us now, Andy Bailey, on the Sprint Special Guest Line. We make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Joining me now, as I just said, Andy Bailey covers the jazz for the Bleacher Report Forbes.com. Andy, good morning. Morning. How are you? You know, I am doing well. We've had you on the show a number of times, and something that I just discovered here recently, back in the 90s, I worked for the Salt Lake Tribune, and my assignment was college basketball. And I covered Utah during Majerus' great runs, and then after the Olympics, they switched me over to BYU, and they had a couple of tournament runs there. And I did not know until recently, you're the brother of Marcus Bailey. Why didn't you tell me that?
1: I am the brother of Marcus Bailey, and I, I should tell everybody <laughs> that. It's a point of pride for me, for sure. Every once in a while when I see, you know. Absolutely. I don't, I don't, I don't know what uh, clued you into that recently, but maybe it was the fact that there were some Marcus Bailey highlights on the internet and I retweeted them. And every time I see something like that, I get a, I get a little swell with pride. So it's um, definitely a really cool thing. That was a fun, fun time for college basketball and especially that conference.
0: Yeah. Now, for those who don't know, Marcus Bailey played for Wyoming and a local kid up the road there in Cheyenne, if I remember correctly. And one of my favorite coaches, Steve McLean, was <laughs> coaching at the time, if I remember correctly. A little bug-eyed Steve. Yep. And I had an opportunity to be around him. I always enjoyed going into a Auditorium up there in Laramie, and I'd sit and press row. Back from the, it's built like the Huntsman Center. It's almost exactly a replica. And I'd sit back a little bit, and to my left would be Steve McLean's wife. And she'd be screaming at the referees, but she had this little pipsqueak voice, and nobody could ever hear her. And she get up and you didn't even know if she was standing cuz she's so small but she screamed Ronnie Fernandez I just remember her screaming at Ronnie Fernandez was a referee but nobody could hear her because the place was always packed when I went there cuz I was either there covering Utah with Majerus or BYU and BYU obviously generates a lot of uh, emotion so mm-hmm. my day of going to that place I know it's been down a little bit but it was it was awesome and they had some really good teams at that point in fact all those years that I covered, and I covered Utah ten years, went to the Final Four, Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight, all that stuff. I don't believe that I ever covered Utah winning in Laramie. Yeah, they had a
1: they had a very good home court advantage uh back then. I guess it wouldn't have been as big a deal for Utah, but the the uh elevation got to a lot of teams. Um they packed that double yeah. A when mark was there they had a future nba player on that team and josh davis um they, they had a davis, lot of good yeah. things going for them and, and like you said they've been down recently but i think the hire of jeff linder um i'm i'm optimistic about that i think they're going to get things turned around
0: now your brother uh had a really good career they i think when he was a junior they upset gonzag i want to say it was down at the pit yeah in the NCAA tournament, and then they had really, really high hopes the next season because they had that great season, I think, when he was a junior. But when he was a senior, he had the injury, and he never came back, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, so I I think he may have won
1: Mountain West Player of the Year as a junior. I can't remember if it was his junior year or his, or his sophomore year. But then, yeah, they, they went in and they beat Gonzaga in the first round and it was more than your typical 6-11 upset because I think Gonzaga was ranked third in the nation before the brackets came out. So the big story was Gonzaga got jobbed by their seeding. So they had that huge upset. And then it was going to be Mark's senior year the next season. He tears his ACL, I think, nine games into the year. Um, and he came back too early from that. He, he tried the NBA Summer League that summer. He hadn't fully recovered yet. And it's it jacked up his knee to the point where he still has problems with it to this day he played professionally in Germany and England and and was actually pretty successful there but he could only last a few seasons because the knee just never fully came back I think we knew a lot less about ACL recoveries back then than we do now I, I think things have advanced quite a bit on that front so he had the uh I mean, injuries gets the best of a lot of guys, and I, that, that was definitely the case with Mark. I, I remember as a young kid thinking, my brother's going to be in the NBA, and it, it, I don't think it was that outlandish. He was a really, really good player, but injuries, um, they take a toll on a lot of people.
0: So what's he doing now?
1: He is a radiologist. He's a doctor in Texas. Oh, sweet. So, yeah. Man. So he uh, he he played professionally for a little bit, once he realized uh, it was wasn't going to happen physically for him, he went on a mission for the um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Germany. Then he played in Germany professionally for a little bit after that, and then in England. And eventually, he thinks I'm gonna. I, I think he started medical school in his 30s, which is you know yeah, that's a big <laughs> step to take um, at that point in your life. And yeah, he's a practicing doctor now with a wife and kids, and he's he's doing great.
0: Awesome. Andy Bailey covers the NBA for Utah jazz, uh, and the Jazz for Bleacher Report and Forbes.com. The brother of Marcus Bailey, who was a star at the University of Wyoming. I remember him well. I remember talking to him after some of those games. It was always fun to go up there because they had good teams. BYU and Utah had good teams. And so, yeah, it took me a long time to realize that you were related to him, <laughs> that he was your brother. But now that I know I'm. I'm good to go. It's good to catch up and see what he's doing. Glad to hear that he's doing well. I wanted to hit you up now. You know, Boyan Bogdanovich is going to have had the surgery, so he's going to be done, and and we'll see him next season, whenever that is, when that resumes. So, basically, uh, to an extent, the Jazz that we knew them for the 19 or for the 2019 2020 season. They're done in that respect because even if they come back, Bogdanovich is not going to play, right? So the the basic team that we knew it is done, and then, then they come back and they'll make some adjustments without Bogdanovich. But including what you saw, Bogdanovich and Conley and the returning guys, what was your evaluation of that group of the Jazz? Well, the Bogdanovich loss,
1: like you said, is just massive. Yeah. Um, he averaged twenty points, had a sixty plus true shooting percentage. Uh, his plus minus, like the difference between when he's on the floor and off the floor. The only player who had a bigger swing was Rudy Gobert on the team. So that that's a gut punch. Um, and I you know, I remember when he hurt that wrist and for a few games afterward he was he was always sort of flexing it after he shot and the fact that he was playing through what he was playing through, I think that says a lot uh, about him and and the toughness uh, that he displayed throughout the season. He was a home run acquisition. Um, I think there were some people at the time when he was signed who kind of thought that's maybe a bit of an overpay. Uh, But to me, he he was worth every bit of that contract he, he was just hugely impactful spreading the floor for gobert and mitchell who likes to kind of work in the mid-range and around the hoop um, having having a forward who spaced out to the three-point line and shot as well as bogdanovich was just huge um the other acquisitions were not quite as successful obviously um i just talked about the the on-off swing of bogdanovich and it was actually negative for mike conley um took him a while to get his footing uh, and then he, he had sort of an unfortunate distinction of the Jazz's schedule softened up when he got hurt and so it was really easy to point to well Conley's out and now they're winning um, that that was an obvious sort of uh, takeaway to have he had to dig a little bit deeper to see how much easier the schedule was over that point um, and it's really unfortunate that it seems like he was starting to finally figure out his role on the team and, and kind of playing close to the way he was last season right before the season gets suspended. Um, And so in some alternate universe where this season plays out as normal, maybe he's fully up to speed by the postseason and the Jazz are a real threat. Um, But he's already had this up and down season. The season is suspended, which throws off the rhythm again. And now when it comes back, Bogdanovich Bogdanovich isn't going to be there. Um, So this, this turned into a fairly chaotic, hectic year for the Utah Jazz, hopefully everybody can be, you know, fully healthy and back ready to go for next season. Uh, I, I think without Bogdanovich, and I think another um, another sort of warming up phase for Mike Conley could be could make things tough, especially if they do that 1-16 to playoff seating that they're talking about and they have to play Houston in the first round. Um, Jazz fans surely have nightmares of playing James Harden in the playoffs at this point, and that would be just a really, really tough matchup to start out with.
0: So how much are you concerned that Connie will get it back? Maybe he won't get it back to the level he had at Memphis, but he'll get it back more than we expected.
1: I, if he can play, for, you know, whatever form they take for the rest of the season, if he can play basically at or just below the level he was at right before the season got suspended, I think that's a success. Um, I, I'm still not sure if that's a title contender though losing Bogdanovich is just huge because then you bump up a bunch of guys from the bench into different roles and it just throws everything off um, and the more I've watched the Jazz this season the more I worry about that that um, Donovan Mitchell might call me backcourt generally because they're both very talented players obviously but those two guys in the same starting backcourt is just really small and in today's NBA if you've got two guys I think once they adjusted the height the season was Mitchell measured at six two. He he came in at six one. Um, now that they're measuring players without heights, and I think the same yeah. for Conley, both six one. That's just a really small backcourt in today's NBA, and that's more problematic on defense um, than it is on the other end. So I'm I'm still in the camp that long term Donovan Mitchell should probably be this team's point guard. Um, you surround him with with bigger guys who can defend wings, and I I, I think that's where the higher long term ceiling is. So. That's a concern for me, but I, I think if, if Conley can get back to basically what he was right before the the whole league shut down, then that, that's a relative success.
0: Andy Bailey covers the NBA and Jazz for Bleacher Report and Forbes.com. You mentioned Mitchell, so he's finishing up his third season. Uh, how would you evaluate his season in terms of making the progress that you would expect a third-year player to make?
1: I, I think there were good signs uh, from Donovan Mitchell this season. His true shooting percentage hovered right around league average um, this season. I think maybe just a couple tenths of a point below uh, at this point, which is that, that's a step up for him. Um, when you're a six-foot-one guard and you're around league average, and league average takes into account a bunch of big guys, so that's that's a very efficient season for him. He was fantastic from the mid-range this year. I think he's one of the rare exceptions uh, in the NBA right now where you don't mind him taking mid-range shots because he can do it pretty efficiently. Um, I think there were stretches this season where he still took a lot of ill-advised shots, difficult shots. Um, And I I think he kind of feels like he's got to do that sometimes because there aren't a lot of other guys on that team who can just go get their own shot. Um, I think if he translates or or, uh, transitions some of those shots into passes, you know, dump-offs to Gobert, Um, kickouts to the three-point shooters on the outside, his assists go up a couple per game. I I, I think he still has immense potential. Um, It was another season of growth for him. I I think we kind of forget this is just his third season. Um, There's still plenty of time for this guy to grow and develop. And I think eventually, again, I think he's going to be a point guard. And that might not mean six, seven, eight assists a game because there's playmaking from every position in the NBA now, especially for the Jazz um, but if he's your if he's your de facto one, I think his ceiling is even higher.
0: So you talk about Bogdanovich being a home run, particularly what the team lacked and what he brought to them, and it's hard to argue on that. I agree with you there. My thought for you is that they added the shooter in Bogdanovich and. You know, having the opportunity to watch him play every day as opposed to when he was Indiana. And, you know, I'm not focusing on the Eastern Conference or Indiana, certainly as much as the Jazz and the Western Conference. So I thoroughly came away, I think I came away thoroughly impressed with his game and didn't realize he was as good. My thought for you is, you know, they add this shooting. They still have with their centers position what we consider the centers uh, today. Uh, neither of them, whether it be Bradley, if you want to throw Davis in there too, and Gobert, are three-point threats. Do they need that or no?
1: I think they need a change of pace center behind Gobert. Um, I, I don't think we're ever going to reach a point where Gobert is shooting threes. Occasionally you'll get the you know social media video of him shooting and, and people get a little bit excited, but I don't think that's something that he necessarily needs to mix in. But it would certainly help if they had a backup five who could do that, just so that you can give teams a different look. Um, now and then. I actually wrote something at some point this season about maybe even try Jarrell Brantley at the five. I, I think he's maybe six five, six six, which is obviously very, very short for a center. Um, but if you're just playing him there in spurts and you can have a little little bit of playmaking, a little bit of shooting from the five, um, I think that's interesting. And, it's you know, obviously it doesn't necessarily have to be him. We, we're coming up on another offseason and maybe they can target somebody who can provide some of those things. But uh, in in terms of impact... Gobert remains one of the most important, impactful players in the league and has been for five or six seasons now. Um, So I I get uh, what a lot of people say that, you know, the Jazz need to modernize, get more shooting, get more playmaking from the five. I don't think it should come at the expense of Gobert. I do think there needs to be sort of that change of pace center, somebody who can give you that, that stuff for spurts. Or if you happen to come up against a team like the Houston Rockets, um, who've been sort of kryptonite for Gobert um, in some ways. Then, then you can play that playmaking five a little bit more in a game against a team like that, or a series against a team like that. So, just having that option, I think, would certainly help the Jazz.
0: Well, I thought I was talking to Andy Bailey, but he's staying playing a six-five player at center. Now I think I'm thinking I'm talking to Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: me in positionless basketball. Um, I remember when Quinn Snyder was first hired; that was like a big buzzword from him, and and I've always been very very big on that. And this is maybe a guy that's six foot six, six foot seven, who played some center in college. So maybe that's shading my perception a bit too.
0: Okay, well, I, I like the idea of the change of pace. That seems to make yeah. sense for me because right now, you know, they improved their shooting, obviously with Bogdanovich, but the league continues to. Uh, morph even to more shooting and so maybe if they had somebody that if they if they if they needed to to go with the five guys and each one of them being a threat and uh, then maybe that causes a little bit of uh, dysfunction on the defensive end from the opponent I guess is what you're saying
1: absolutely and I, I think that we will hit a point. And, and the NBA changes a lot. I mean, the people were talking about how the center position was dead five years ago, and now all of a sudden there's Joel Embiid and Nicole Jokic and Gobert, um, really dominant centers. But I do think four or five years from now, with the way the game is going now, we're going to see a lot more lineups that are like Mike D'Antoni's in Houston. Maybe not quite as dramatic with you know six five six six P.J. Tucker playing the bulk of the minutes at the five. Um, but I think you could see a lot of lineups where the entire group is basically like six five to six nine they all dribble they all pass they all shoot and it it just makes the lineup that much more dynamic and unpredictable when the attack can come from from any point on the floor or the shot can come from any point on the floor so i think we're heading in that direction again i'll i'll leave a caveat there that that could change um, but that certainly seems to be the trend line that we're on right now
0: andy braley the brother of former wyoming basketball star marcus bailey thanks for joining us today Thanks for having me, sir.